Let us begin our sermon with prayer. O Lord, your word is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Guide our footsteps by your word so that we may remain steadfast in faith, may love you with all our hearts and our neighbor as ourselves. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there are just two religions in this world. Only two. There's the natural religion of this world. And that's the idea that if you want to get something from God, you have to give something to God. And it doesn't matter what religion, Muslim, Buddhist, and sadly even many Christian churches, that's what's taught. If you want to be saved, you have to act holy enough. If you want God to help you with your finances, give you a little extra money, you'd better give him a little extra money. That's the natural religion of man. It's built into us because there's no such thing as a free lunch in this world. And then there's God's true religion. That is the fact that God looked down and saw there was no way you could make your salvation. Because God demands you be perfectly holy. If you've stumbled once, you're not perfectly holy. And doing all the good in the world is not going to make up for that sin because you have to be holy all the time. So God became a man, took on human flesh, lived perfectly in your place, then to remove your sin, went to the cross and suffered the punishment that your and my sins deserve. Then he rose victorious to give you the assurance. So God demands one thing. He makes one demand, and that's that you believe his son became man and lived in your place and has credited you with righteousness. But God even fulfills that demand Because when you hear that message, he sends his Holy Spirit into your heart who creates the new man in you that is connected to Christ and clings to it. So there's natural religion that basically claims you're good enough and you've got to do some good to get God's attention. And then there's God's true religion. God gives it to you as a free gift. With that, let us begin our text. Our sermon text is the gospel history according to St. Mark, as recorded in various portions of chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. The Pharisees and some of the experts in the law came from Jerusalem and gathered around Jesus. They saw some of his disciples eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. In fact, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they scrub their hands with a fist, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they adhere to, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the other day I was in the store, and I noticed they had this bottle of California Raspberry Coke. I like vanilla Coke. I like cherry Coke. And I like you. So I've got this plan. I want to know if this is good or bad. So I'm going to pass this bottle around. We'll start on the left side here in the pulpit for the front person. And everybody, now don't drink too much because we want everybody to have a sip. We're going to pass this around and make sure it gets back in the cubby hole where the computer is. So everybody gets a sip and then we'll determine if we like it as a group or not. Oh, I, I know what you're thinking. How foolish of me. It's all right. I brought a, I, I got a pocket, I, my pocket knife has a bottle opener, so we'll be able to get it open. No big deal there. That's not what you're thinking, are you? Now, if you're the first person who's getting the bottle, you're probably thinking, no big deal. But if you're towards the back of the church, you just know that at least one person's going to backwash. You just know that any child gets that, they're going to fish lip it. 
And you just know there's bacteria and viruses we could pass around doing this, right? In fact, there's even things like cold sores and certain kinds of herpes that people get on their face that you don't want. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, the Pharisees were not aware of bacteria and they were not aware of viruses. But the way you think, if you're in the back of the church going, ooh, I don't want to be the last swig of that bottle. That's how they viewed your sins. They thought that you had, as when I was a kid, when I was a boy, we'd play on the playground and girls had cooties. And if a girl touched you, you got the cooties. And your buddies couldn't touch you because you would infect them. They'd get the cooties. But the solution was simple. If you had a good buddy who'd come near you, he'd spray you down with cootie spray and you'd be okay. That is how they viewed sin. They viewed sin as cooties. And while it was very serious to them, they had cootie spray. They didn't wash their hands because, as my mama taught me, after you go potty, you wash your hands before you eat, especially because that's just disgusting. No, to them that was spiritually wrong. And there were ceremonial laws that kind of lent to that idea. All those ceremonial laws that if you touch this, you're unclean. Now you got to beat it up to the temple and make a sacrifice. If you touch this person, you're unclean. And you gotta, you got to be outside of town for so many days and beat it to the temple and make a sacrifice. It was a pain in the neck. But all those laws which have been fulfilled by Christ were explained by the Apostle Paul in Galatians. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Of course, I'm giving you the King James Version. A little yeast in a bread of dough. Let it sit long enough and it'll spread through the whole thing. And it's our external sins. They spread like wildfire. Well, that's how the Pharisees viewed it. If I touch you, you are sinful. You've got the cooties. And I've got to do something to remove those cooties. Now, they bought into the natural religion of man. If they washed, they could prevent them. If they did the right thing, they could remove them. But brothers and sisters in Christ, sin is not that easy. It's not if you do the right thing, you can remove sin. Uh Uh-uh. See, they thought of it as, as spiritual cooties, but the truth of the matter is, we have a mortal disease. When the devil took on the form of the serpent and tempted Adam and Eve, they lost the image of God. This means you can't make a decision for Christ. You can't earn your forgiveness. You cannot do a good work in God's eyes because you are spiritually dead. As Jesus explained to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And so we thank the Lord, the true religion. He has given you the Holy Spirit working through that message of God's, of Christ taking on human flesh for you, and He has created that faith in you. That faith is the new man that is alive and will remain alive forever. So the Pharisees were thinking a simple washing, a ceremonial washing, or you do a good thing, you follow the right rules, and your sin's gone, or you just don't sin, versus the idea that you and I are conceived mean, lean, God-hating machine, absent of all holiness, and God must give us that by putting His Holy Spirit in our hearts. Spiritual cooties versus a mortal disease. And isn't it sad how many Christian churches get that confused? 
The idea that you have to do the white works of repentance in order to get forgiveness from God. The idea that you have to make a decision for God and then you are saved. You know, and the sad thing is, is how do we get the Holy Spirit? One of those ways is scripture makes us very clear. God seals him in our heart when we're baptized. But those people that are work righteous, who view it really as as spiritual cooties, they don't think baptism gives you the Holy Spirit. They deny it. And they teach that you, baptism, is your saying, Lord, I've done it, I've made my decision for you, and I want to make this official. They're focusing on spiritual cooties. And the irony is, just like the Pharisees, then they get hung up on laws. See, even though they don't think that the baptism actually gives you the Holy Spirit, creating the new man, sealing him in your heart, they insist that a thousand years before Christ took on human flesh, in classical Greek language, the Greek word baptismos, where we get our word baptism, they insist that that meant what, what, what used to be used for submersion in water, like when a ship sinks. But see, the thing is, is in our text today, we see that it actually, by the time Christ is taken on human flesh, simply came to mean washing, because the Greek verb that is used for washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches is baptismoi. It's that same word. Now, when you wash cups, you probably do submerge them in water. So far, they've got it. When you wash pitchers, depends on how big your kitchen sink is, right? Kettles. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the kettles that's mentioned here, that was the kitchen sink. When you're done washing everything, all your dishes, you still got to wash the kitchen sink, but you don't dunk the kitchen sink in the kitchen sink. You rinse it off. But the last one proves that the word for baptism means simply washing dining couches. Because the dining couches were the length of three of our pews put together at least. And archaeologists usually don't find big bathtubs in which they could dunk these things before they ate. They rinsed them off. Now I bring all this up. Because, sadly, there is a work righteousness in Christianity. They insist on the rule that you have to dunk, and you can dunk. God does give you freedom. But they insist you have to dunk. But why? You're simply telling God you've chosen Him, and it's all spiritual cooties versus God seals His Holy Spirit in your heart and gives you that new man, and He allows you to wash you or dunk. We don't have to follow those spiritual cootie rules. So far we see natural religion versus God's religion is the idea of just spiritual cootie. Something easily done by you gets rid of the problem versus you are dead in God and so God must come with His Holy Spirit and give you faith that God took on human flesh and was perfect in your place and has removed your sin. Our text continues at verse 5. The Pharisee and the experts in the law asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Instead, they eat bread with unclean hands. He answered them, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching human rules as if they were doctrines. You abandon God's commandment, but hold to human tradition like the washing of pitchers and cups, and you do many other such things. There's a problem, isn't there, brothers and sisters in Christ? And I want to tell you, I'm very disappointed in you men. Because God gives you everything. So when you come to worship God, you should wear the best God has given you. And the best God has given you means you should wear a suit and tie and a very nice suit and tie. Thank you very much. 
Oh, and you women, you, got, you should have the same philosophy, but you should wear dresses. Very loose-fitting dresses that cover up your ankles so nobody's tempted. Because God gives you the best. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that was a tradition in churches, even in my lifetime. But they're traditions. And when we make a tradition, when somebody's salvation depends on that, we are making laws that God did not give. Now, certainly there reaches an age when children, for example, in church, they should be able to pay attention. Have you ever been around somebody who's frustrated because of a baby crying because it needs its diaper changed and they have that, that old traditional rule, children should be seen and not heard in church, even though that rule never really existed? People always understand infants are going to cry. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there are many traditions that you and I probably even hold and don't realize that are not in the Word of God. And traditions are meant to help us. But the minute we lose the reason for them or the minute we make them equivalent to the Word of God, especially by making them a condition for salvation, we become hypocrites. Isn't it easy to say, well, I can get up at church and I can worship at 9 o'clock and it's a perfect time for me. So that person who wants church at 11 must be a heathen and an unbeliever. I'm overstating the case. But there are lots of traditions that we may be clinging to and not realizing in our own hearts that we've given them a place God did not intend for them to have. And that's the problem with the Pharisees. You're not on an art. Now, now, to get rid of traditions for the sake of just getting rid of them is bad too. When they're good and they serve a purpose and help us focus, that's fine. You know, in the early Christian church, as they developed the Lent season, they had this idea, and it was a tradition that you give up something during Lent as you build to that crucifixion, a good Friday of Christ, to remind you that Christ gave everything. He took on human life, to, took on human flesh, and gave everything so that he could gain you for all eternity. So they would give up something big in their life that would be kind of an inconvenience just to help them focus on that. And I say God bless them for that. But then by the medieval ages, it became a rule. You had to not eat this during Lent or you're in trouble. You could not eat any meat but fish on Fridays. And there we get the idea again. Once the tradition becomes a necessity for salvation, it's time to get rid of it. So as we look at natural religion versus God's true religion, we see human traditions in juxtaposition to God's commands. And don't kid yourself, brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't need to add to God's Ten Commandments because they summarize everything. But the law does not save us. As I've already said, God gives one command for your salvation, and that's that you believe that Jesus died for you. But God actually fulfills that demand by giving you the Holy Spirit who creates the new man who actually does cling to Christ. So human traditions can be a good thing, but when they, when they start to teach us that our salvation depends on them, it's time to get rid of them. God's commands, God's word, we don't want to add or subtract from it. Lastly, in, in verses 14 through 22, there in those portions we're told, He called the crowd to him again and said, Everyone listen to me and understand. There's nothing outside of a man that can make him unclean by going into him, but the things that come out of a man are what make a man unclean. In fact, from within, out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual sins, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, unrestrained immorality, envy, slander, arrogance, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and make a person unclean. We've all been guilty of it, and we have Christian friends that really do this bad. They focus on the external things instead of, again, 
focusing on the internal thing that without that Holy Spirit in your heart, you are a mean, lean, God-hating machine who cannot earn forgiveness. We've been studying Luther's treatise on Christian freedom. And I like the way Luther states it. He says, a good house does not make a good builder. Rather, a good builder makes a good house. If you want to turn to good works to save you, then you have to already be good. And if you're already good, you must be saved. And to be good, you have to have that new man. You have to have the holiness of God, period. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is one of the things of the natural religion of man. We focus on the external things. Well, that person cusses more than everybody else. He must be an awful person. Or one of the greatest ones is to try to explain when it comes to infants, small children, to people about original sin. Because babies cry, but they don't strangle people. They don't get jealous. They cry because they need their diaper changed and they need to eat. And you can say, well, they don't care that they've kept mom and dad up all night and they're exhausted. They have a need. Brothers and sisters in Christ, they're focusing on what happens because of the sinful nature. Things like jealousy and murder. But Jesus here says it's actually the sinful nature. Without the sinful nature, we wouldn't have deceit. We wouldn't have unrestrained immorality. We wouldn't have envy. We wouldn't have slander and arrogance and foolishness. All those things proceed. They're the consequence. They're the fruit of having a sinful nature or basically a sin. That's not having the image of God. These come out of our sinful nature. But when we understand the internal, then we truly get God's true religion. We lack God's holiness and he must give us the Holy Spirit and credit us through that Holy Spirit with his holiness, with Christ's righteousness. So once again, contrasting natural religion versus God's religion is focusing on external things, the results of having a sinful nature versus focusing on the true internal problem, the sinful nature. Today, in our sermon, focusing on those Pharisees, we've seen natural religion versus God's religion. Spiritual cooties, things you can do to easily overcome, versus a mortal disease that God has to take care of. He's the only one who has the cure, and he gives you the new man. That's the cure, that, that trust, that's connected to Christ because of the Holy Spirit and trust in him. So, focusing on human traditions versus letting God's word stand without adding or subtracting to it focusing on the external consequences of having that sinful nature versus the internal, knowing, yes, I have a sinful nature, but God has also internally given you and I the new man who clings to Christ and is going to live forever. Amen. And now the peace which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.